This is WFG Insights, your download on the real estate market, featuring industry experts, thought leadership, and what's trending, keeping you informed and ahead of the market. In this episode, a candid conversation with WFG founder and executive chairman Patrick Stone, who offers a timeline for a turnaround as the real estate industry copes with higher rates and a slowing economy. And welcome to another edition of WFG Insights. Patrick Stone is back with us again. And Patrick, you know, you and I have had a lot of conversations over the years, many of them off the record uh, or off the microphone. And uh, one of those was a few years back. I remember uh, asking you, I think it was maybe 2017 or 2018, what your biggest concern was long term. And you said our debt. And, you know, nobody was talking about that back then, but uh, here we are now, as of uh, October 4th, the national debt is now at $31 trillion. Uh, it's gone up about $10 trillion just in the past five years, mainly uh, due to COVID and relief and so on and so forth. But now here we find ourselves in a uh, increasingly high interest rate environment. And I remember back then you said, we'll be okay as long as rates are low. And here we are, and that's obviously not the case. So can you talk about the concern here of this kind of debt uh, with higher interest rates and the impact that has overall on our economy. Well, uh, give a little bit more uh, context to my earlier concerns. Uh, they were spurred to a great degree by the fact that it appeared that the U.S. dollar was no longer going to be the world's reserve currency, and uh, you know there there was a lot of. Uh, Five, six years ago, everybody thought China would pass the U.S. in terms of size. And there was a lot of conversation about having a different uh, reserve currency. There was a, a tremendous amount of conversation around that. Uh, that really appears to have abated significantly. China is not going to pass the U.S. anytime soon. They've got big economic issues. So the U.S. dollar is, uh, is going to remain the reserve currency. I'm a lot less concerned. That was the main reason why I was concerned because I did think it was going to happen and I thought rates were going to go up. Now we've got $31 trillion, but a great deal of that is held internally in the U.S. Um, I think about six or seven trillion is intergovernmental. Um, the biggest investor outside of the government is uh, you got Social Security, you got the Federal Reserve, you got uh, you got everybody, Department of Defense, uh, but the biggest investor outside of the U.S. government is Japan at about 1.2 or 1.3 trillion, and then China at about 0.9 or 1.1 trillion. So we're not in a bad situation. I don't think we're going to have any problems. Obviously, interest rates go up; the cost of that debt goes up. Average term on the U.S. debt right now is about five years. Uh, so if this doesn't, if this only lasts another year, year and a half, I think we'll be fine. Uh, if it goes on and interest rates stay high, then it will become problematic. Okay, so no issues short term. I mean, short term to define that would be the next couple of years. So, you know, the next thing people are talking about now is the Fed pivoting. Uh, we're hearing a lot about that. And I want you to talk about what that means in terms of, you know, rescuing the markets here at this point, both the equity and the bond markets, because we're in a very unique situation here where the equity markets are dropping and the bond markets aren't doing well either. So it's kind of this double whammy. You know, in looking through this, these past pivots, uh, when we get to this point in a, a cycle, oftentimes when they pivot, uh, you know, it doesn't get better right away. It takes, you know, maybe 6, 12 or 18 months for things to turn around. Talk about this pivot. If you think the Fed will 
back off and what could happen here in the next six to 12 months? Well, the only people talking about a pivot are people outside of the Fed. Uh, nobody at the Fed is talking about pivot. I think they're going to continue down the road, raising interest rates so they get the rate till about four and a half to four and three quarters. Now, I think it's worth telling people that a lot of the underlying inflation numbers are very misleading in the sense that the CPI, which just came out and caused a great deal of alarm because it was up. Well, 42% of the CPI is based on, on real estate. And a lot of that is based on imputed rent, meaning uh, if a home price goes up, what would it cost to uh, rent that home? So you have this imputed rent and then there's a six month moving average on that imputed rent. So what we'll see if nothing changes is we'll see CPI come down fairly significantly in January because home prices quit going up in July and August. So by January, you're gonna see the CPI come down if nothing else changes. So my, uh, my hope is that even if the Russia-Ukraine uh, Russia situation stays, that we'll see the CPI and PCE, which the Fed prefers over the CPI, mainly because the CPI is uh, based on a lot of uh, interviews and opinion polls and like that. PCE is more business-based and based on business company re results. Plus the PCE is only 18% uh, real estate weighted. So I do think you'll see both come down in January and February. The Fed will quit raising rates. Uh, if they continue to come down, then I think you'll see the Fed get a little bit more easy by next summer. We'll see. That rent uh, measurement, you've talked about this in the past, and I have seen some chatter about that. If that is so out of whack, why do they keep using it? Well, um, you know, I used to make a joke, uh, if you can't sleep at night, study how they compute uh, CPI and PCE. It'll drive you crazy, to be honest with you. Uh, it is a very inexact science. It really is. And, uh, you know, the reason that they give it so much weight is typically the cost of rent is one of the major factors for the average consumer. So they give it a lot of weight because it impacts the average consumer so significantly. Um, you know, so we'll see what happens on it. I, I do think it, it provides a tool uh, that gives us a sense of which way the wind's blowing. Is it really accurate? Not, not precisely. Yeah, you know, you, you talk about inflation here and the quote of it being like putting toothpaste back in the tube. Uh, we've heard that. Uh, once it's out there, it's tough to fight it. Fed raising rates to do that. So we all get that. Um, you know, you look at historical analysis uh, showing that when inflation exceeds 5%, uh, the Fed needs to raise two points above that headline number to get this under control. Uh, if the headline number is, say, 8.2%, that would mean, you know, 10%. Do you agree with that? Um, no. If so, yes. If not, why? <laughs> no, I think that's all speculation. There is no... Uh, the one thing about economics and uh, the one the reason one of the reasons it's not a science is that every time you have a situation, it is not parallel or uh, reflective of a prior uh, economic environment. Uh, there's too many variables that change in it. Uh, I do not subscribe to the idea at all that the Fed needs to raise 2% above inflation. Essentially, what has to happen, depending on what caused the inflation, that needs to change. So you go back to uh, the hyperinflation that we saw in the 80s, that was stagflation. And we can talk about what stagflation is because that's misunderstood. What's happened now is the pandemic caused a great demand for goods and the supply chain created a lack of supply of the goods in demand. So consequently, prices went up. 
Now they have spread because of the prolonged nature of this price increase. Other things are being impacted because people want raises, so forth and so on. But this is not analogous to any any prior recession we've had. Yeah, it's or it's, recession. Excuse me, we're not in a recession yet. Technically, uh, you know, the National Bureau of Economic Research is uh, eight academics that decide if we're in a recession. And it's kind of funny because we had two down quarters and they said we're not in a recession. And that is right because gross income was still up. Now, gross income is leveled off. So I suspect if Q3 ends up even or slightly low, they will declare a recession. And we're yeah. going to have a recession, but it won't be terribly painful. That's good to hear. You know, Michael Bury of the Big Short fame recently tweeted out that, quote, the Fed is so afraid of being the Fed of the 70s, that they are becoming the Fed of the 1930s, yeah. which at first I laughed at that. And then for those of you that don't get what I'm saying here, obviously the 1930s, not a good time in American history where the Fed uh, did really did not do anything to help the, uh, the depression get any better, prolong the pain. Um, how concerned are you that the Fed will overdo it here, Pat? There's a lot of talk about this. Are they going to raise rates uh, too high, too fast? Are they going to break the economy? What's your take there? Well, I think they're going to cause a recession, but I don't think it'll be terribly painful because if you look at the underlying uh, quality of the American economy right now, the consumers have, uh, it's estimated about $1.4 trillion more in disposable income than they had before the pandemic. Uh, investors have about $5 trillion on the sidelines right now waiting to find an opportunity to invest. So uh, you get a global recession, which I think will happen. You're going to get a U.S. recession, but we're going to recover fairly quickly from it because the underlying economics are not in that bad a shape in this country. We're still in a pretty healthy environment. So I'm not too worried about that at all. You know, the, the Great Depression thing, one of the, if you study that, you come to the conclusion it wasn't the Fed that was the problem. It was Smoot-Hawley tariffs that really caused the Great Depression. Uh, we would have probably got through that with a lot less pain if Smoot-Hawley had instituted tariffs, I think, on what, 32 countries or some ridiculous thing that just shut down global trade. One of the things that will cause prices to come back down is loosening up the supply chain, having access to goods at a lot lower price, which is going to happen and it is starting to happen. So the supply chain is almost back to where it was before the pandemic. So you're gonna be able to buy things at a better price uh, and the competition of the global recession is gonna cause competition of people with lower rates or lower prices. You mentioned the S word, stagflation, right? I wanna come back to that. Because we, I've been peppering you with that question for about six months now. Um, you're not, you're not concerned about it. So talk about all. stagflation. What was it? What is it? Why do we keep hearing about it? Because we've got a, you know, a stagnant or a slowing economy, high gas prices, high interest rates, uh, a glut of everything other than housing out there. So what and why won't this be stagflation? Well, you know, first of all, you have to have this or truly have a stagnant economy. We have an artificially shut down economy that's now recovering. It is not stagnant. Look at the unemployment rate. I mean, look what's going on. It is not stagnant. Now, uh, we will have a global recession. I suspect we'll have a U.S. recession. I don't think it'll be horrible. What happened in the from the late 60s all the way through the early 80s is there was virtually no growth at all. And the only way to give a raise or to make a profit was to raise your prices. That's stagflation. That's a prolonged period of no growth. We haven't witnessed that yet. We've had an artificial shutdown of the economy. I don't, I think the growth rate will go back up. You know, people are showing it's going to stay low for a year. That's fine. It stays low for five to 10 years. We can have this conversation, but tell them that's not really apropos. 
<laughs> okay. And hey, you mentioned China earlier too. Bonus question I want to throw in here. You know, followed a little bit of this. You said they've got some major problems. What's going on in China? Because we heard for so long that they were just going to overtake us and that, you know, watch out for China. All these, you know, everything's going to scare everybody. What's going on in China? What, what's happening there? Well, you know, from a political and social perspective, uh, Xi has been uh, very focused on control and establishing a dictatorship, if you will. And he's done that. Uh, he's repressed people uh, with violence. A lot of things have happened there, but really underlying that was a desire on his part to really accelerate China. So he made it possible for people uh, to get a mortgage to buy a home. Now, here's here's something most people don't realize. In China, you buy a home, it hasn't been built yet, but you start paying on the mortgage when you sign the documents. The average Chinese home buyer right now has been paying on a mortgage for two years and the home is still not built. So wow. th this is gonna come apart on him, it really is. It's caused a great deal of concern on the development companies in China. Uh, there's a lot of social unrest around this. People are tired of paying mortgages on something that hasn't even been built. Can you imagine paying a mortgage on a house that hasn't been built for two years? So a lot of credibility issues there. Uh, I think they're going to have to refocus a little bit. Uh, you know, their economy has slowed way down. Uh, and, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Now, he's having this, uh, you know, they have a party congress every five years. And I think he's going to probably establish himself for another five years at least. Uh, but I am less w worried about their economy continuing to grow at a fast rate. It's not going to happen. I'm hesitant to ask about, you know, predictions because it's the, as you've said over and over, I think the word you've used or the words you've used is lack of certitude over really the past year, and certainly this year, um, in terms of what's going on. You've been in the business almost 50 years. You've never seen anything like it. I talked to gentlemen who have your expertise, they say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we've never seen anything like this. And yet here we are, and I'm going to ask you, maybe not for a prediction, but maybe some guidance on mortgage interest rates, uh, because we've seen, you know, the affordability thing is just crazy now, or lack thereof. Where do you see mortgage rates going? I guess, let's not even say this into this year, over the next 12 months, how does this play out? I don't see them going a lot higher. I really don't. Um, they're artificially high right now. The Fed will continue to raise rates. I don't think that the 10-year uh, T-bill will go mu up much from here. So I don't see mortgage rates going up much from here. Um, and I see that uh, once we have some inflationary readings that are trending down, I think that that, over, that overstatement on mortgage rates above the 10-year T-bill, that will dissipate. We'll go back to within one and a half to 2%. So, you know, I, uh, my, the optimistic Pat is looking at, uh, you know, looking at mortgage rates back in the mid fives by the second half of next year. Um, you know, that's the optimistic Pat. Okay. Now the things you can't control and they're really, un, you're unable to predict with any certitude, of course, is the geopolitical situation in the world right now, the Russia, Ukraine war, China beating the drum on Taiwan. Um, you know, there's just a, <laughs> North Korea shooting missiles over uh, Japan. Uh, all that creates unnecessary anxiety and could protract or prolong, excuse me, could prolong higher interest rates. But uh, the optimistic Uncle Pat says uh, mid five, second half of next year. And really think, uh, I think there's a good chance that the real estate market could be better in the second half of next year than it was in the second half of this year. Um, you know, I think there's a good chance of that happening. I see in 2024, 
again, if you don't have a geopolitical, uh, an, a unnecessary, uh, unpredictable geopolitical catastrophe, um, I see rates in 2024 getting back under five uh, because the inflationary pressure basically was supply chain created uh, two things, the supply chain locking up and the American consumer having a credible amount of disposable income because of the stimulus programs around the pandemic. Now, were they a mistake or not? Uh, you know, because it worked, they're a mistake. If it hadn't worked, they wouldn't have been a mistake. I mean, by that, I mean, uh, there's no way to predict it. Better safe than sorry, if you will. I understand why it was done. But it created a lot of disposable income that went after goods that weren't available. And services were not available, right? Now, services are back. People are spending money on services. Goods are, the supply chain's loosened up. So good prices are going to start coming down unless there's something unexpected happening in the geopolitical sphere. And, uh, you know, moving on to affordability, we touched on that a little bit before. Uh, you know, look at the Redfin numbers, May to October. We've seen a correction in many markets, particularly on the West Coast. Uh, you know, San Jose, uh, Austin down in Texas, both 14% uh, over that six-month period down. Seattle down 10%. Uh, you know, you've got Sacramento, San Diego, Reno, Boise, all 7%, 8%. Um, I'm not yeah, can I can I interrupt you? Can please. I interrupt you? Yeah, I do, do not like I do not like those numbers. I don't like those numbers because I think the only thing that you can follow historically with consistency is median price. I do not like I do not like the artificial analytics that are done by some of the companies. Um, I don't see house prices going down. Then some markets will go down five to ten percent. Overall, nationally, median price may go down three to five percent max. And the reason for that is all prices are dependent on supply and demand, right? Okay, mm -hmm. demand has gone down, but guess what else went down? Supply has plummeted. Yeah. So the relationship between supply and demand for housing is surprisingly in line with where it's been. So I don't see a lot of downturns. Some markets got crazy and they will have some, yeah. But it's really hard to use uh, private enterprises projections on prices. I wouldn't do that. I'd look at the median price, and use that as a basis. And if you look at that, the the prices didn't go up as fast as some people said, and they're not coming down as fast as some people say. <laughs> you kind of jumped in there before I got to ask my question. So I was just Sorry. prefacing <laughs> what I was about to ask, <laughs> Sorry. Which, which is generally speaking, okay, um, you know, when you look at that and inventory being the big thing here, right? Housing, particularly these Western regional markets, how big of a correction are we in for? You just answered that, but my but the point is, you know, the inventory still has a or lack thereof has a huge impact here, right? It has a huge impact. I do think that the uh, you know the builder community was ready to put the uh, pedal to the metal uh, in January. Um, they had geared up to build a tremendous amount of homes this year. Of course, that all got slammed, uh, and they came to a stop. Uh, but we are we are underbuilt on homes for the last 12 years, and we're going to stay short on inventory probably for the next seven to 10 years. It's going to take a long time to get back in balance. We're going to have to change zoning laws, land use laws, all sorts of things because we've kind of put ourselves in a corner. Uh, so I don't see inventory going up very quickly. I don't see demand going up very quickly right now with rates where they are. So. Um, in the best possible world, there'll be some balance in those two things. So we don't have a big fall or a big, another big rise. We'll see what happens. It sounds like things in mid-2023 
certainly by the beginning of 2024. So, you know, we're only talking 15, 16 months here could start to turn positive again. Well, I am, uh, you know, in our internal planning, we're saying 18 months, 18 months. We got to get through the next 18 months. Q2 of 2024 should be a very good growth environment. Now, look at, make sure, I want to make sure everybody listening or watching understands there are a lot of variables here we can't control or project, mostly around the geopolitical situation. And they do impact us because of energy and food costs. And so uh, if we have any sort of resolution in Ukraine, I think things will calm down dramatically. Uh, if we don't, then it's going to be a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a battle, but I do think it'll trend downward. Good advice. As always, Patrick, thanks for the optimism and the realistic approach too. I mean, it's optimism with a realistic outlook, not just, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of, lot of variables we can't control. We still have the capability of uh, recovering fairly quickly and in a healthy environment. So let's keep our fingers crossed that the geopolitical situation doesn't get in the way. I think we'll be fine. Well, Patrick, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks to WFG founder and executive chairman Patrick Stone for joining us. And thank you for partnering with WFG.